If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of March 27, 2022. The podcast that invented fat-free sugar. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's meta-stymie the news of the bogus. With the whole world insisting on taking sides in the Russo-Ukrainian war, it's unique when a country refused to do so, especially one as prominent on the world stage as Israel. By the way, fair warning, a lot of this is going to sound very ironic. Israel seems to be taking a do-as-we-say-not-as-we-do position. But despite the fact that this Intercept article really lays into it, it's not really a criticism of Israel's position, more like whataboutism. Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett seems intent on getting both sides talking in Jerusalem. Although Putin's diplomats have regularly reached out to Ukraine's, he has so far declined this invitation. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, on the other hand, is pushing back on it hard. He wants to know why Israel stopped the transfer of Iron Dome missile batteries to Ukraine before the attack and has refused to impose sanctions on Russia. And he literally shredded the invitation from Bennett saying, quote, Mediation can be between states, not between good and evil. Well, now we know which side's refusing to negotiate. And that's after Zelensky had said to a reporter, quote, I don't think it would be right at this point to meet in Russia, Ukraine, or Belarus. These aren't places in which we could reach any understandings on stopping the war. I believe Israel could serve as such a meeting place, especially in Jerusalem. So apparently, Israel called his bluff. Ukrainian officials were apparently triggered by Bennett having the audacity to meet with Putin for three hours. An unnamed senior Ukrainian official reportedly told Zelensky, quote, Bennett is basically telling us to surrender, and we have no intention of doing that. Bennett's office said it was untrue that they were pressing Zelensky to accept any particular offer from Putin and urged Ukraine to meet for peace talks. This Intercept article is really infuriating to use as a source, although it's the best one I could find for this. For example, the reporter Robert Mackey wrote, But given what Putin has said in public about why regime change is necessary in Kiev, the lie that Zelensky, who is Jewish, leads a government of drug-addled Nazis who must be demilitarized to stop a fictional genocide against ethnic Russians in Ukraine... Uh, yeah, hyperbole aside, we know there are Nazis in major positions in the Ukrainian government, and we know that Ukraine has attacked ethnic Russians in Ukraine. But I guess you have to deal with uncomfortable facts somehow. He went on to write, Agreeing to give up its military and its elected government and redrawing its borders to suit Russia would make Ukraine into a de facto colony of its larger neighbor, ruled from Moscow by a repressive autocrat, as it was in the Soviet era. If the idea that Ukrainians should simply give up their independence and accept an offer of limited autonomy on terms dictated by a neighboring country with a stronger military sounded reasonable to Bennett, it might be because Israel has been pressing Palestinians to accept similar terms of surrender disguised as a peace deal for decades. Yeah, except there's no indication whatsoever that Putin has asked Bennett to tell them that or that Bennett has said anything of the kind. Man, The Intercept has gone way downhill since they drummed out Glenn Greenwald and Lara Poitras. 
Ukrainian Defense Minister Oleski Reznikov, whom Mackey made sure point out was Jewish as well, complained of Israel's, quote, inexplicable detachment and unwillingness to choose sides. Are you recognizing the classic cries of the warmonger? Here's the point I keep coming back to. The way to give everyone what they claim they want is for Ukraine and NATO to recognize the independence of DPR, LPR, and Crimea in exchange for Russia ending their aggression. Whichever side is refusing to do that, and it could be both, is not behaving in any honest way deserving of anyone's support. If you're looking for a way to support this channel, but you don't have any spare cash and you can't stand ads, you can do so by generating your own cryptocurrency. Use the links at the bottom of the description to follow the link to odyssey.com to listen to the podcast and see all of my YouTube videos as well. Just watching videos will produce cryptocurrency for the creator and yourself. And since Odyssey is always monetized and never censored, you'll have no problem seeing all the videos from your favorite creators. You can also use the library credits you created Odyssey to tip creators and even purchase paid content. Earn library credits through various rewards, including daily view rewards and the number of shares and invites. And you can interact with creators in all sorts of ways, including like and dislike, comment, boost a post by supporting it, repost it, and share to other sites, all while earning crypto for the creator. Easily monetize yourself and your favorite creators using cryptocurrency without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com and see many of your other favorites there as well. So, you remember the Hunter Biden laptop? In the weeks before the 2020 election, information from the laptop surfaced implicating Joe Biden in a corruption scandal involving his son's obviously crony position with the Ukrainian energy company Burisma. It didn't take long for a coordinated effort between the government and social media to bury the story, calling it Russian disinformation, even though there was both eyewitness and cryptographic evidence authenticating everything. Now, none other than the New York Times has finally acknowledged that the laptop is authentic. The news media outlets who passed on the lie from intelligence officials have never retracted their falsehoods or apologized to all of the users that they censored and accused of hacking. Not even the New York Post, who broke the story and was blocked by Twitter for close to two weeks and barred Twitter users from so much as linking to the story, even in private chats, and Facebook deliberately changed their algorithms to suppress all discussion of the report. As Glenn Greenwald said in a recent Substack post, quote, But a media that was overwhelmingly desperate to ensure Trump's defeat had no time for facts or annoying details, such as what these former officials actually said or whether it was in fact true. They had an election to manipulate. As a result, that these emails were Russian disinformation, meaning that they were fake and that Russia manufactured them, became an article of faith among the U.S.'s justifiably despised class of media employees. Very few even included the crucial caveat that the intelligence officials themselves stressed, namely, that they had no evidence at all to corroborate this claim. By the way, this is the event, you might recall, that caused Greenwald to break with The Intercept after the outlet that he founded refused to publish his analysis showing that the revelations from the laptop were genuine. 
But now, it's been acknowledged in a New York Times article about the FBI's criminal investigation into Hunter Biden's business and tax dealings. Paragraph number 24 of the report, two-thirds of the way down the 1800-word article, said, quote, People familiar with the investigation said prosecutors had examined emails between Mr. Biden, Mr. Archer, and others about Burisma and other foreign business activity. Those emails were obtained by the New York Times from a cache of files that appears to have come from a laptop abandoned by Mr. Biden in a Delaware repair shop. The email and others in the cache were authenticated by people familiar with them and with the investigation. And that's it! That's all it says about that! Not... Oh, gee, that's the same laptop we said was Russian disinformation. Boy, golly, were we wrong about that one. There has been no retraction, no acknowledgement that the previous story was bogus. So, in the weeks and days before the hotly contested 2020 presidential election, a coalition of the intelligence community, the news media, and big tech spread an absolute lie about the New York Post's reporting in a deliberate attempt, apparently quite successful, to mislead the American electorate. All of the fact checks were frauds because any honest fact check would have authenticated it. And many did, although you'd never hear it from the mainstream media. Americans were absolutely denied the true facts about one of the two major candidates in the race deliberately by people who had the goal of seeing him elected. And it absolutely made the difference. Media Research Center surveyed 1,750 Biden voters in seven swing states and 9.4% said they wouldn't have voted for Biden if they'd been told the truth about the laptop. That would have changed the outcome of six of the swing states which went for Biden, any one of which would have altered the outcome of the election. The seventh state was North Carolina, which went for Trump. They found similar results for other scandals, with 8.9% saying they wouldn't have voted for Biden if they'd known about his sexual assault of Tara Reid, 4.1% if they'd known about Kamala Harris's record, 5.4% if they'd known about the record gain in jobs under Trump, 5.6% if they'd known about the economic growth, and 5% if they'd known about Trump's historic Middle East peace deals. 5.8% would have flipped if they'd known Biden would cancel Keystone XL, and 5.3% if they'd known that Trump was behind Operation Warp Speed. All total, if voters had been informed about all of these stories, 17% of Biden voters just wouldn't have been Biden voters. The voters may not have switched to Trump, they may have voted third party or just not voted at all, but even that would have been more than enough. By a lot. This should be a scandal that is as outrageous as it is historic. Unfortunately, since the news media continues to be complicit, it'll take a lot to let people know about it. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government censors. It's essential in this day and age, so go to vpn.pagosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world, and they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. 
Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. Another aspect of the hysteria around the Russo-Ukrainian war is the screeching that everyone who isn't absolutely 100% on Ukraine's side is guilty of treason. In the example of this story, Mitt Romney levied the accusation against Tulsi Gabbard. It's a big term to abuse, being one of the few federal crimes for which the death penalty is still a punishment. The framers were so concerned about the abuse of this term that they saw fit to define it specifically in Article 3, Section 3 of the Constitution, which says, quote, Treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war against them or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. No person shall be convicted of treason unless on the testimony of two witnesses to the same overt act or on confession in open court. And as law professor Carlton Larson said in the Washington Post in 2017, quote, Speaking against the government, undermining political opponents, supporting harmful policies, or even placing the interests of another nation ahead of those in the United States are not acts of treason under the Constitution. An enemy is a nation or an organization with which the United States is in a declared or open war. Nations with whom we are formally at peace, such as Russia, are not enemies. Indeed, Trump could give the U.S. nuclear codes to Vladimir Putin or bug the Oval Office with a direct line to the Kremlin, and it would not be treason as a legal matter. In fact, Americans actively helping the Soviet Union during the Cold War weren't even accused of treason. But it became the personal attack du jour of the War on Terror, Anyone who dared to be skeptical of George W. Bush and his foreign wars were routinely accused of being traitors. And boy, howdy did they use it against Trump for the crime of even daring to speak to Putin. Even though back in the Cold War, Kennedy had a special phone line set up between the White House and the Kremlin so that he and Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev could talk to each other whenever they wanted, a tradition maintained by subsequent Cold War presidents. But Trump? Well, as we were subjected to for four years, the claims went fast and loose that Trump and his administration were puppets of the Kremlin, and when Trump and Putin met in Helsinki in July 2018, journalists and politicians tweeted with the hashtag Treason Summit. Body language experts insisted that Putin was dominant over Trump, and former CIA director John Brennan even said, quote, Donald Trump's press conference performance in Helsinki rises to and exceeds the threshold of high crimes and misdemeanors. It was nothing short of treasonous. And then, of course, there was the January 6th Capitol occupation, which wasn't an occupation, as so many similar Capitol protests were called in the past. It wasn't even a riot. It was a treasonous insurrection and attempted a violent coup carried out by traitors. As for Tulsi, accusations of treason against her started in the 2020 campaign when Hillary Clinton publicly said that she was being, quote, groomed by the Russians. 
By the way, for those who aren't familiar, Gabbard isn't just a former senator. She's a decorated lieutenant colonel who served 18 months in Iraq, which is a lot more than the likes of her accusers can say. More recently, she and Tucker Carlson were both branded as traitors by the news media for daring to say what U.S. officials and scholars had been saying for over 20 years. That NATO expansion up to Russia's borders, and in Ukraine in particular, was a credible threat to Moscow. Gabbard said that Ukraine wasn't a fight we should embroil ourselves in, and Ukraine will always be vulnerable to Russia no matter what the U.S. does. Funnily enough, it was incredibly similar to remarks made by Barack Obama in 2016. But now, those remarks make you a traitor. And the lowest one came after she made a two-minute video in which she said nothing that isn't already acknowledged by the U.S. government and that no one contests. There are biolabs in Ukraine which store and cultivate dangerous pathogens, and it's reckless for the U.S. and Ukraine to maintain them, especially when Russia started massing troops on the Ukrainian border. Of course, now the news media and big tech are considering that to be a dangerous conspiracy theory worthy of censorship. They do that by claiming it's misinformation to say there are bioweapons labs in Ukraine. But first off, no one says bioweapons. And second, there is no such distinction in either U.S. or international law. And like the other forms of news suppression, this is as dangerous as it is unhinged and was escalated by Mitt Romney, who had the audacity to tweet, Tulsi Gabbard is parroting false Russian propaganda. Her treasonous lies may well cost lives. This is the same four-time draft-dodging son of a rich politician who got out of the Vietnam War after protesting in favor of it, instead sending other Americans to fight and die in that and other wars while shielding all five of his sons from military service. The hosts of ABC's The View even called for Gabbard and Carlson to be criminally investigated by the DOJ. Anna Navarro was particularly vociferous which is interesting because she pressured Congress to fund and support Nicaraguan death squads used by the Contras, of which her father was a member. And remember Peter Strzok? He accused Gabbard and Carlson of being in coordination. Keith Olbermann even advocated they be put in military detention and said they should be lucky to get a trial. All for what is absolutely protected speech under the First Amendment. Our founders defined treason in such a limited way because they knew the tyrants always used it to act against political dissidents. The modern left is showing themselves to be just that, using it as a weapon not only against their political enemies, but against one of their own who refuses to toe the line. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling, or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttletwins, and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary-age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain, or regulations passed in the name of safety, and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. 
They're just $9.99 apiece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. And now it's time to misclassify this week's biggest bogan emitter. And this week it goes to Senator Patrick Leahy and Tom Tillis for having the audacity to use the name of the Creative Commons to justify their dangerous bill mandating copyright filters. Their bill, the Smart Copyright Act, can only be described as an act of amnesia on the part of Leahy given his disaster with SOPA and PIPA. It mandates technical measures to protect against copyright infringement. In other words, filters. See numerous reports over the history of this podcast for why that's a bad idea. Instead of responding to all the criticism, Leahy and Tillis instead tried rushing out their bill as quickly as possible. It takes the failed and abusive DMCA Section 1201 and cranks it up to 11, allowing Hollywood to come to the Copyright Office to have their technical measures blessed from on high, requiring Internet service providers to use them or face statutory damages. Of course, like the big media stooges in Europe, they have to deny that this is mandating filters, even though it's absolutely mandating filters. In a mind-bogglingly dishonest Myths vs. Facts document authored by Tillis, there is an entry that reads, Myth. This is a filtering mandate that will chill free speech and harm users. Tillis' response, quote, The Smart Copyright Act creates an open process for all stakeholders, including the public, to identify copyright-related technological measures that should be broadly available to all. Some measures, like the International Press Telecommunications Council Photo Metadata Standard or a Creative Commons license, can help users know whether and how they can use content while also respecting creators' rights. Of course, there's absolutely no way to comply with the law without using a filter that works the way Hollywood says it should, but the Creative Commons people are very unhappy that Tillis mentioned them for support. In a blog post for CC, Kent Walsh wrote, Their bill proposes to have the U.S. Copyright Office mandate that all websites accepting user-uploaded material implement technologies to automatically filter that content. We've long believed that these kinds of mandates are overbroad, speech-limiting, and bad for both creators and reusers. Creative Commons is strongly opposed to mandatory content filtering measures, and we particularly object to having our work and our name used to imply support for a measure that undermines free expression which CC seeks to protect. CC licensing is designed to let creators choose to share their work beyond what copyright allows by default, to grant more permissions, not impose more restrictions. And while our license metadata does let reusers know critical information about licensed rights, this metadata exists to convey important information about licensed works, not to restrict their use. Critically, CC licenses were never designed or intended to override the limitations and exceptions to copyright that allow for free expression. And Walsh points out that such filters absolutely decimate fair use. Quote, Limitations and exceptions are a crucial feature of a copyright system that truly serves the public, and filter mandates fail to respect them. Because of this, 
Licensing metadata should not be used as a mandatory upload filter, and especially not CC license data. We do not support or endorse the measures in this bill, and we object to having our name used to imply otherwise. Jeez, we have to vote this bastard out. Unfortunately, we won't get another chance until 2026. So all of that makes Patrick Leahy and Tom Tillis this week's Biggest Bogun Emitter. I want to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. To save money while still getting quality glasses, I get them from Fermu. In fact, I just got a pair of progressives with high-index aspherical lenses and a nice pair of frames my wife loves for just over $100. It would have been $500 to get them through my eye doctor. Not only do they look good, the glasses are durable. I've worn many pairs for several years without problems. All orders come with a 30-day return policy, a 3-month warranty, and one-on-one -on -one customer service. Go to Firmu, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV, anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmu dot Bogosity dot TV. And now let's Salonize this week's... Idiot Of all the people to get this in the activity surrounding the Russo-Ukrainian war, did you really expect it to be given to the Union of European Football Associations? No, neither did I. Of course, I'd never even heard of the Union of European Football Associations. But the UEFA is using this as an opportunity to push Ukraine to implement protections against live streaming. They want illegal live streams, presumably of their games, to be taken down within 105 minutes before, quote, the damage is fully inflicted. Is this really a pressing issue the Ukrainians need to be discussing right now? Last month, the UEFA suspended all Russian players and clubs from participating in international competitions. Because soccer players have what to do with the war? Russia is appealing the decision to the Court of Arbitration for Sport, which is apparently a thing that exists. They've always pressured the U.S. trade representative to keep Ukraine on their piracy watch list. Back in January, they wrote, Ukraine has very weak laws in relation to copyright protection, and in particular with respect to imposing obligations on Internet hosts to limit the copyright infringement facilitated by their service. Just a reminder that Section 230 doesn't apply to copyright, and whenever someone talks about repealing it, just remember that this is the kind of crap they want to be able to do about everything. So now they're saying, quote, Unless pirated content can be stopped at an early stage of that 105-minute period of a football match, the damage is fully inflicted. Because apparently an hour and a half of a bunch of guys walking around a field and maybe kicking a ball once in a while, and maybe even scoring a single point, is just so gripping that it needs protection. To the point that Ukraine needs to take time out from a war to talk about this. As for what they want, they wrote, UEFA would like Ukraine to provide rights holders with effective remedies that would enable us to affect the immediate real-time removal of illegal pirate content as soon as that content can be detected by our monitoring programs. In other words, 
They want action to be taken to shut down live streams solely on their say-so, without any actual legal recourse for the streamers. As with all copyright measures, they want to be judge, jury, and executioner over all content. But just so you don't think they're complete schmendricks, they wrote, We are obviously aware of the current situation in Ukraine, and so our foregoing requests are, of course, subject to what we hope will be a prompt resolution of the conflict and a return to a peaceful and stable Ukraine. Yeah, but not enough to actually wait until then to make a big deal out of it. So all of that makes the UEFA this week's... Idiot Well, that wraps up this... Your presence here is about as useful as fine bone china at a tea party for drunken elephants. Edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogosity.tv to join the discussion. Subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar and you can listen early and ad-free. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from Smedley Butler. There are only two things we should fight for. One is the defense of our homes, and the other is the Bill of Rights. War, for any other reason, is simply a racket. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. Bogosity. We live in a world where light bulbs connect to the internet, and recent attacks on them prove that your online security is under threat like never before. Not only your websites, but the internet-enabled devices you buy. And the biggest problem is weak passwords. That's why you need LastPass. LastPass allows you to randomly generate strong, unique passwords on the web and on your internet-enabled devices, all protected by one master password. LastPass sets up in minutes and gives you secure automatic logins throughout the web, synchronizing across all your browsers, all your computers, and even your mobile devices, at home, at work, or on the road. It even securely stores sensitive form data, including credit card numbers, backup sensitive documents, software licenses, Wi-Fi logins, and more. And with LastPass Premium, you can get these benefits on other applications, manage passwords for your entire family, and also get priority customer support. Sign up at password.bogosity.tv for a free month of LastPass Premium. Log in securely everywhere using the last password you'll ever have to remember. Go to password.bogosity.tv and get LastPass now.